Today on Cyberwork, I'm happy to bring back returning Cyberwork guest Susan Morrow for her fourth appearance and her first since 2019. Susan, simply put, is plugged into every aspect of digital identity currently being discussed, and she takes us deep into the security, ethical, practical, and UX hurdles of current identity practices and gives us both an optimistic and pessimistic version of the digital identity practices that might be coming in 10 years. Keep it right here for Cyberwork. Welcome to this week's episode of the Cyberwork with InfoSec podcast. Each week, we talk with a different industry thought leader about cybersecurity trends, the way those trends affect the work of InfoSec professionals while offering tips for breaking in or moving up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. So today is my returning guest, uh, former cyberwork guest, Susan Morrow. She's an ex-chemist who transitioned into the IT security sector in the early 1990s, uh, where she became the founder of a cybersecurity startup. Since then, she has built a knowledge base across diverse areas, including encryption, digital rights management, digital signatures, privacy, and online identity. Susan has been involved in identity projects addressing government, enterprise, and consumer needs. Uh, she has helped design and commercialize award-winning software solutions used by organizations of all sizes worldwide. Susan was listed as one of the most influential women in technology in the UK in 2020, 2021, and 2022 uh, via Computer Weekly. Uh, she was also shortlisted in the top 100 women in tech in 2020. 21. Uh, Susan is also involved in the Economic Injustice Project, looking to provide a platform for social change in the UK. Uh, that's economicinjustice.org.uk. Uh, her mantra is design for a digital life, not just digital identity. Uh, Susan, thank you for joining me again. It's always great to see you. Welcome back to Cyberwork. You too, Chris. It's always great to see you. You're looking well. Thank you very much. Uh, yep, uh, uh, very much enjoying the uh, uh, the conversations. So, um, uh, so uh, you know, if you if you are new to the show, Susan's told her cybersecurity journey on several previous episodes. Uh, there's an early one on passwords. There's one on GDPR. And there's one on her many years as a woman in the industry. And I highly recommend you listen to all three to get uh, caught up. So, uh, you know, we've known each other for quite some time. And Susan's con uh, contributed dozens of great articles for our InfoSec resources site. And I highly recommend you check those out. So I know you as someone who is both well-versed in privacy regulations like GDPR, uh, blockchain uh, researcher and more. But right now it seems like digital identity uh, occupies a great deal of your investigation and work. So put simply, what is digital identity and what are the issues and considerations surrounding it? What aspects specifically are interesting to you at the moment? So I've been working in digital identity for about a decade. Okay. And um, there's been a lot of changes alongside changes in general, you know, sort of cloud computing, that type of thing, mm -hmm. opening up the perimeter. It's, a, it's, it's added a lot of challenges to digital identity. Sorry for the air quotes, folks, but mm -hmm. I have a few issues around the use of the term digital identity, and I'm not yeah. alone. I'm not alone. And the reason for that is because it causes – language is important. Yeah. And digital identity has caused a few conflations – you know, with different use cases of doing stuff. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. technology is just there to help us to do stuff, isn't yes. it? That's what yeah. technology is, right? And digital identity is no less, no more than just doing stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And the problem with adding the term identity to it is that it starts to get a little bit kind of emotional. Yeah. People find people want to make it more than what it is. Mm. And over the years, it has caused some kind of painting into the wall of what an identity what an identity is, what it conveys, yeah. how it's used, what it reflects. There's also a lot of complexity within the landscape of digital identity. It's really unusual. So I came out of cybersecurity. And, you know, so 10 years, 11 years ago, I was just doing cybersecurity. Right? Mm-hmm. And when I came into the digital identity arena, it was like a culture shock mm-hmm. because it was so complicated. Hmm. I'm not saying digital identity, I'm not saying that security isn't complicated. Yeah, obviously. right, right. Obviously but it, it was a whole new type of complicated. A whole new level of complexity because it really is where technology and human beings intersect. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. that intersection that makes it really complicated, especially when you work in things like citizen ID and consumer um, identity-driven transactions. Mm-hmm. That's why it's really messy. And of course, cybersecurity is coming along on the on the, the coattails of of those same complex issues. But anyway, mm-hmm. so 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 to me, digital identity is probably a misnomer. But I will use it throughout this podcast because people know what that means, right? And we've kind of made our bed with it. But there are different ways of looking at the the whole thing. The landscape is vast. There are competing, and it's sometimes. Adverse factions within yeah. the landscape, and um, and I don't think it needs to be. I think right. it's big enough for everybody. I think the use cases for for a digital identity are vast, yeah. and there's more than one way to skin a cat, yes. and there needs to be more than one way to skin a cat. And and consumer and citizen identity is the perfect example of that because not everybody has a smartphone. I'll leave it at that, and I'll bring that back <laughs> later on. All right. Well, I, I, I'm not letting you leave it there because I, I have a few more questions here. But um, uh, so I, I, I just wanted to sort of pull in on something you said there that digital identity is maybe being made more complicated than it needs to be uh, vis-a-vis just something that allows us to do stuff because the word identity specifically confers with it this sense of like, you know, you're not just your digital thumbprint, but almost like your digital birth certificate or your digital social security card or your adult, you know, like, is, is that it? It's that it has this sort of inference of like, this is your whole life. And it's, yeah, it's this yeah, glowing yeah. orb kind of yeah. thing. And so people yeah. are adding more to it than they need yeah, to. Is yeah. that, is that it? There is an, there is an aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll come more onto that when we talk about, because I do want to talk more in depth about the different use cases for digital identity, the different okay. ways that it can be presented. Yeah. Um, but yes, absolutely, it can become extreme. The thing is, is it, it is extremely complex. Mm-hmm. And it does need it does need layers of, you know, protocols and every possible aspect of cybersecurity you can think of comes into play, which I know is like your next question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah no, so it's, it's complicated because it needs to be complicated. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So let's talk about that. Where does where does identity interface with the day to day work of of cybersecurity in in your in your findings? And what are the biggest security risks around identity as it's currently being formed? So it's kind of always been a little because I came out with cybersecurity into mm-hmm. identity, and the reason I did that, by the way, was because um, I was doing digital rights management mm. and, and control of, of of data at a very granular level. 
right? Mm-hmm. And, and documents and that type of thing, and digital sign and that type of thing. And it was getting more and more difficult to actually identify the person mm-hmm. who was accessing accessing the the document. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, hang on a minute. This is uh, this isn't this is getting really messy with cloud computing, and you know people like coming outside the perimeter into it and so on. So so when I started to get involved in 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 identity in and it was being kind of like it was being represented as something outside of cybersecurity. I was very confused and still still am. Yeah. It's starting to the two are starting to because I'll tell you this, Chris, digital identity overlaps with cybersecurity in every possible part you can think of. Like mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of something that doesn't impact it. So <laughs> yeah. when you when you design an identity system or do the solution architecture for an identity system, you have so many moving parts, including the human operator, right. not both the human using it and the administrator, for example, mm-hmm. and other people who are working on configuration and, you know, that type of thing, um, that it just, there are so many pieces that need to intersect with cybersecurity. You wouldn't believe it. So I wrote a few down and I thought, my God, it's easier to actually see what isn't. And then I couldn't think of anything. So, I mean, <laughs> authentication is one that springs to mind. Yeah. Authentication. That security puzzle of getting usability right and, and security right, it's it's at, it's at the cutting edge digital identity of that security usability ballot. It's the cutting edge. You know, secure coding. My God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a, lot of, a lot of identity systems, you know, the skills gap comes into play here. Okay. Yeah. I mean... A lot of people turn to open source for mm-hmm. their, and I'm using the term identity in the loosest sense here, their account creation, yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 access to you know um, web web resources that type of thing, and they turn to they turn to open source because they haven't got the in-house skills to do it, yeah. Right. But the problem is you need to be able to understand that open source and the vulnerabilities that could be in it. Mm-hmm. With respect to its use within a wider identity system, mm-hmm. um, so that's 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 a problem. So secure coding is really important. Of course, then you have identities at the cutting edge of scams. Yeah, yeah. so very scams, you know, utilize aspects or elements of digital identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so database security. Yeah, database security, vital. So, you know, TLS security of transmission of data between the different parts of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Getting that right. Um, API security, because everything is connected now in the identity ecosystem through yep. API. Uh, API security, both the access of the API and the actual, you know, integration of API, API yeah. calls and all the yeah. rest of it. And API, it seems like it's like the big attack vector right now. Like we've already had several people talk about uh, something that was just so back of mind is all of a sudden like that's the, that's the next, you know, place where all the sort of uh, the nasties are jumping in. <laughs> well, exactly. And, you know, all these parts are weak, weak parts. All these parts are attack points. Yeah. When you're designing and developing the architecture for these systems, no matter who's part of this, it's a, it, I'll come on to the ecosystem. It's such a big, wide, you know, ecosystem potentially mm-hmm. that you have to cover every single little part of this because yeah. you have to be extremely knowledgeable about cybersecurity right. to be able to, to be able to build good and robust identity systems. And I could go on account mm-hmm. fraud, AML, anti fraud checks, 
KYC, yep. these are all part of identity systems. It literally has fingers in every security pie out there. Mm-hmm. And of course, phishing. And of course, phishing. Yep. Yeah. yep. And I, yeah. I, I want to just um, focus on one thing you mentioned with regards to secure coding, because we talk about secure coding sometimes. And, you know, it's one of our 12, uh, you know, career roles. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a thing that people are interested in. So if I'm understanding you correctly, I mean, secure coding, obviously, it's a set of best practices in terms of when you're creating something new. But you're also saying that knowledge of secure coding can, you can also use that as sort of an auditor of open source materials. And by knowing secure coding principles, yeah. you can you can be the secure coder on your team who can look at, well, we're going to use these five open source things. And you can yeah. say, watch for this, watch for this, watch for this. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, mm-hmm. great. It's a, it's, if somebody's good at that sort of thing, mm-hmm. then that, that is absolutely worth its weight in gold. Yes. Whether absolutely. It's where the book stops. It's where the book stops. You know, you can cover every, every other base. But yeah. if you've left a silly hole in your code, mm-hmm. then they'll find it. Yeah. Yep. Leave it open and they will come. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you, we've we've uh, we've given a laundry list of all the the hard work being yeah. done in identity. What's what's the hardest work currently being being done in identity? What are the big problems being Ooh. at least addressed and considered, if um, not yet solved? Right. So um, I'll come come back to the the, the ecosystem. So okay. There's um there's a there's this is this it's kind of just sort of bubbling up under the surface at the minute about and this is an area that I work in and that's why I'm very aware of it. You know when I was talking about the factions earlier on? Yes. Well, it could it's it looks from the outside, right, that people who build sort of identity, like sort of more traditional identity systems are at odds with the wallet people. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the self-sovereign wallet people. Right. And non-self, you can get non-self-sovereign wallets as well. And it feels like they're at odds, but they're actually not. Mm. In fact, I would argue that the, the, the because digital identity has many use cases, then you need to have something in place that can use all of the um, identity systems that are already out there. So, for example, the re- reuse of identity is um, one of the things that keeps popping its head up. And the thing is, is that we want it, We need to stop wherever possible creating random identity accounts of everybody left, right, and center mm-hmm. because they're just going to get hacked, let's face it. Yeah, right. So we need to avoid that. But people already exist as identity providers. For example, banks, yeah? Mm-hmm. Identity wallets have some pieces of you know, identity data in there. And mm-hmm. it doesn't just have to be a bespoke wallet. It could be your your Apple wallet that happens to have your driver's license in it, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you need something, some plumbing, yeah, to allow the water to flow through the lines to get to the right tap. Yeah. So it's the plumbing piece, but it needs to be smart enough to be able to do a number of different things because mm. this is because, because there are loads of different services want to use loads of different identity pieces. Right. And then you've got people in the middle who need to control that and need to be put in control of that as part of a privacy initiative, as well as anything else. You need to have some plumbing that can do a lot of different jobs. For example, it can protocols are very important in the identity space, right? For, 
for, for the like a sort of language between all the different pieces, but not everybody speaks the same language. Mm-hmm. Or some people can speak a bit of the language, but then they don't have some other aspects of that language. Yep. So you need the plumbing to be able to translate the languages or to be able to take some of the heavy load weightlifting of the service people, the web developers who don't have the in-house skills mm-hmm. to really utilize some of the some of the really beautiful aspects of some of these protocols that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Some really beautiful aspects of protocols hmm. coming out in, in OIDC, that sort of area. And um some of those that I'll come on to later. Um, you need someone to do the heavy lifting because just like some people, just like a lot of people don't have knowledge of open um sorry, secure coding. Mm-hmm. And checking open source libraries. Yeah, web developers don't have knowledge, complex knowledge of protocols. Yeah, generally, generally, mm-hmm. you need to do the heavy. You need to make it so it's steady. You know, you've heard of the no code, low code revolution. Mm-hmm. It, it's really there is a reason for that. You need to do the heavy lifting for people. The plumbing does the heavy lifting for people. Yep. it can go off. It can search around and find the right type of identifier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for that particular transaction. And then if that's not enough, it can go off and find another one from somewhere else. Mm. Rather than reinventing the wheel every time and saying, right, okay, we don't have this data. Can you please give us it? And we'll store it for you yeah. insecurely, insecurely. Uh-huh. You, know, you need to start pulling in, pulling in all of these accounts that we keep creating and think, hang on a second, it's already done. Let's stop doing this. Yes. Yeah. But you need the right bits in the middle and in the middle to be able to like use all of the different existing like wallets or Mm -hmm. banks or government services or whatever and bring all those pieces of data together and um you know obviously there's obviously you you could these middle bits are going to have to be able to to do some fancy stuff like privacy enhancement that type of thing organization of data there's lots of but you know what this stuff has already been done, right? It's already been done over the past 10 years. The systems are in place. The mechanisms are in place to do it all. We just need to start doing it. So I think that, I think that going back to the what's the hard work, the hard work is convincing the industry that we can all work together to mm. better, do a better UX for everybody and stop, you know, if you, if you must insist on building wallets, there's a big push for wallets at the minute, right? Mm-hmm. I have reservations about it, but I think it's going to happen. And I don't think there's anything I can do about it. My <laughs> reservations come from the fact yeah. that not everybody has a smartphone or wants to use it. Right. And, I'll, and I'll give you a personal example, which I've already told people about before. I was once signing up for a crypto platform account. Mm-hmm. And I had to go through a minimal amount of KYC. And I had to do my passport, take a picture of my passport and a picture of me. And at the same time, I had to kind of hold them up. Well, I've got like this um, condition and sometimes my hands just don't work. Mm-hmm. right? And so I drop things and I can't, I kind of hold things and it's really difficult. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't mm-hmm. use it. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't, yeah. Couldn't work. Right. Not everybody wants to use smartphones. Not everybody has one. Amazingly enough. Mm-hmm. Right. People, people need options. They yes. need options. Yes. So, you know, fine, bring out wallets, fine, bring out, you know, apps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That do one-off jobs with um, identifiers, do that. But that's not the end of the story. Yeah. You need to give people choice. And okay. certainly you need to give commercial enterprises online choice in how their very wide audience 
uses their service. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're gonna, otherwise, they're gonna like cut out the whole sector, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, this might be an imperfect metaphor, but this sounds, you know, speaking of uh, UK versus uh, US, I think of like the old VCR, you know, NTSC versus PAL. These these identity systems are kind of being developed at the same time, but neither side, you know, neither side wants to step, or VHS versus beta, you know, like no one wants to step down. Mm-hmm. So you have all these competing yeah, identity yeah. systems. Is that, yeah. is that, is that sort of where, what it we're having? Like, it's like, yeah, I mean, it does feel like, so there's, there's obviously a lot of investment going into the wallet development side okay. of things. So the self-sovereign people came out a few years ago and developed this idea of privacy enhanced self-sovereign. At the time it was blockchain based. It doesn't have to be blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, blockchain-based decentralized identities for a damn good reason because because people you know were sick of centralized identities being you know attacked or governments controlling them or, or whatever reason people had yeah. that didn't want yeah. to fine I get that like nobody gets that more than me Chris believe me you know me well um however the reality the actual reality it's 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 still they're still working on it but I can see it coming. I can see it coming. And that's fine. But what I can also say is because there's so much investment gone into it, there's so many companies now investing in wallets that there's going to be, you know how these things do, the shake out. The shake out and you're left with a few. And the problem is at the minute is that um, their competitors are people like existing um, incumbent wallets like Apple Wallet and, you know, the um, Android Wallet. Mm-hmm. And already they're making plays in that space. So they're going to have to compete with things that are already already there. So don't, people don't have to download yet another app. Yeah, because I've already got them. So we'll just use that. I'll just use that. Can't be fun. So that's the problem. That's the, the concern about this. It will shake out. There will be some. And I can see that. I can see maybe, you know, if there were, they're going to. So the AI in, in Europe. Yeah. So the EU is working on. So, you know, in Europe, there's a, there's a European wide identity Mm-hmm. scheme BID and they're now um looking at moving that to a wallet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, IDAS is going to be on a wallet, um decentralized probably. Um and that I can see that taking off because it's a you know it's a government push and people are used to in Europe using a central identity type system. Although this will be decentralized, but they're used to using this government identity. I don't think I can't say that happened in America. Um, the UK yeah. would be a stretch in the UK. You never know. The UK changes sometimes. Yeah. Um, but it just dep- it depends. Citizen ID actually is one of the things that has an unusual use case. Yeah. That yeah. is one of the places where I would say that identity is probably a decent use, you know, within that con- within that use case context. Mm-hmm. Because and and the, but the problem is there is governments. So the decentralized idea of decentralization, right, is is one of its kind of Achilles heels mm-hmm. is that very documents that they're decentralizing, identity documents that are decentralizing, are issued by governments centrally. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's right. kind of like it's kind of like okay, but yeah, but no, but you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, totally. I, don't know. I mean. Yeah. You know what? I'll be attacked for saying this, like because uh, yeah, yeah. But um, bring it on. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I got your back, Moro. <laughs> I got your back. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? The, 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 the market will decide. 
the yeah. market will decide. But there's room yeah. for everything. Right, right, right. right. Uh, so um, to that end, uh, identity obviously intersects quite a bit with some other topics we regularly discuss on the show. And we've talked a little bit about already, like data collection, PII breaches due to mishandling of personal data. You know, those are a little further down the down the chain here. But, um, you know, obviously part of this is on the security industry's lap. But I want to hear what your what you think about how identity can address some of these issues as well. If we have a robust and secure system, uh, decentralized system of digital identity, uh, the issue of who's using these credentials to access your health data and financial records is is probably going to be a little more narrow. Is that right? Um, potentially. It depends if you look at it from, it depends how you look at it really. Um, so this, so one of the sort of W3C and YDC sort of kind of initiatives is the use of verifiable credentials. Mm-hmm. The, in the identity system, just 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 to confuse everybody, in identity mm-hmm. credentials means like 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 age, name, that type of thing. Whereas in cybersecurity, it means like you know password and username, that type of thing. Yeah, and two FA, that type of thing. Um, so it gets a bit confused. So when I use the word credentials in this particular sector, what I mean is name, address, that type of thing. So verifiable credentials is um, now built into YDC. So that you should, as a service, be able to, like health service, be able to check that those those credentials that are being um, um, sort of um, handed over during the um, flow, mm-hmm. um, during the request response, um, you know, flow, um, are, are verified, yeah, mm-hmm. by a by a sort of um, a trusted source. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I guess this comes down to as well a little bit of zero trust in there. So okay. as long as you can, yeah, as long as you can verify that those credentials are tr- as true. I mean, it all comes down to probability. Yeah, 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 yeah. As true as you feel comfortable as a service, yeah, to then allow access. As long as you do it in real time, which you can do, and you make sure that those credentials are verified. The protocols now, you know, are set up to give you that data, that information. Yeah. Or you can do it on the fly. You don't have to do it through the verifiable credentials route. You could do it alternatively, you know, just do a, a real-time on-the-fly check mm-hmm. of, of a credential that you need. Um, and there's lots of different ways of doing that, lots of different as, – as, as there are as many wallets coming into the market, there are as many um, um, APIs that do verification checks against things like Got document it. ID and name address that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Age, age as well, age apps and that type of thing to check your age. Okay. So um so that's a positive because you can do verified real-time checks of data yes. before you allow access. So it's it's you know, never trust always verify in mm-hmm. action. In action. Right. Um yeah, so that's that's sort of one aspect of it. Um again, you can um you know, again, this is where the plumbing comes in as well, because you might decide, you know what, it's not quite enough, actually. Thank you very much for that. It's not quite enough. Can you just give me a little bit extra? Mm-hmm. Um, they might not have it available in like a wallet. So you don't want to ruin the user experience by saying, oh, bye-bye. You mm-hmm. want to be able to do it much more flexibly where you can say, I just need a little bit more proof, you know, before right. I give you access. And so, you know, or you can, you know, I mean, risk-based authentication has always been there. So, you know, you can start to pull in. You can use rules, if you like, use rules to start to just add more and more and more layers of security to really to really do that, to really make zero trust actually happen. 
rather mm-hmm. than just talk about it. Yeah, yeah, and not just be a marketing term for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so what I'm what I'm hearing a little bit too is it it sounds like we have all of the tools to succeed. It's just going to be a matter of of deciding as as you know on, on a large scale which ones we're going to choose yeah. to use and adopt and so forth. Well, this is where this is where the design of identity systems comes into play. So identity isn't just about technology; it's about people. It's about processes. You know, it's about liability because this is all about data. Right. Yeah. It's about all of those things. So the designers of identity systems, the people who start the business analysts, the solution architects, you know, all of those people have to really, truly understand at a, at a really granular level how the people who are going to be using the system want to use it in all of the different aspects and all of the different I hate using the word, but edge cases. Mm-hmm. In in identity, you don't have edge cases. You just have use cases okay. and lock of them. Um, and, and people who design these systems need to go through them very thoroughly to be able to get the best out of an identity system because there are so many choices. Right. Um, okay. So um, I, I want to sort of pivot from that into more of a speculative uh, sort of aspect. So where where you think where you see where where we're going now? Where do you see digital identity changing in say the next ten years? Could you give me like a pure optimist and a pure pessimist version of what it looks like in the next decade? Sure. Um, so the pessimist one would be that we still like nobody's really making any progress in terms of. Um, re- reducing the number of accounts being created online. Right. Um, identity accounts are already in existence, continue to be at risk all the time. Um, we can't reuse existing things like bank IDs. Mm-hmm. So, the, 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 you know, um, and we, we end up in a stalemate between all the different elements of the ecosystem when and it doesn't come together cohesively. Yeah. Yeah. That's the worst case scenario, and that and worries me. Mm-hmm. The best case scenario is that we recognise that what we have here is a golden opportunity to really make people people doing jobs online make their lives easy and secure and privacy enhanced. We have a go, we have the systems there ready to use, um, and and you know people talk a lot about open banking. So open banking is okay. I mean, I've done a lot of work in open banking. It's okay. The rails of it are great. They're based on OIDC and FAPI, and they're really good. So they've got like a lot of like um, uh, flexibility and security built into them because of the protocols. But open banking itself is very limited in the data that it can exchange. So you need to go a step beyond. So there are other ways of releasing that data. The, the bank has the data, and they are looking at releasing that data into the ecosystem, but you need to be able to ameliorate that data to be able to like, you know, make it, um, you know, standardized um, to, to, to build it as well as user centric, to have privacy first thoughts when doing this. So I think in the future, I think people are going to really take advantage of the data that's already there, but do it in a very privacy enhanced user centric way. Mm -hmm. So one of the greats in identity died um, I think it was earlier this year or mm-hmm. late last year. The, day, the, the days just merge in my life. Um, a man mm-hmm. called Kim, Kim Cameron, and um, he wrote um, the Seven Laws of Identity back in 2005, I think it was. Wow. And that was 
all it was a brilliant piece of work and um he was a he was a great man Kim and he he was the first one I think to before this idea of people having control over their data mm-hmm. and I think user centric and that has still carried through but it's still it sometimes doesn't get implemented mm-hmm. but that means in the future that will be a core design remit in all of these systems and we'll be able to reuse data that's already out there like open banking but premium more premium data mm-hmm. and, you know existing ideas we'll be able to utilize the wallets that do fall out of this sort of like you know sort of like very fluid market that, that there is at the minute since we invested into they fall out that we do have an element of decentralization i cannot believe that decentralization um in its purest form will exist because you know what you're always going to have to give someone your address if you want that pair of shoes shipped to you yeah and then what do they do with that maybe something will come along to be able to and uh, then they have to share it with it. It gets complicated once yes. you have to. Share it. <laughs> yeah. it gets complicated, and but there will be there will be a way of bringing these things together in as in best. And of course, then there's there's the Web three identity question. Okay, identity form the backbone for Web three. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. We'll see, we'll see. We'll see. That, that feels yeah, like that feels like a whole extra episode, right? There. <laughs> it is a whole, it's a whole extra, extra episode, yeah. Yeah. Um so um uh so uh, ter- turning to the 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 work of of identity like i feel like what you've given me here is kind of like a pandora's box inside a pandora's box inside of you know like i i'm you know i'm my 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 brain is 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 throbbing trying to keep up with <laughs> all these different implications. So, like, tell me about the jobs and identity right now. What are the the raw skills, either technical or interpersonal, that you need to succeed in this this area? Mm-hmm. If people are listening to this and are like, "Yes, this sounds amazing," like, what should current students and people wanting to move into this area be learning and studying about now to catch up? And and what should they be looking for looking towards in the future? Well, it's certainly um, very much a hot space to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't work in identity, you certainly will touch you at some point if you work in the tech sector. Yeah. Um, so technically, um, get, if you if you're not if you're not a software programmer, um, you know you don't have to be to work in this space. I'm not a software programmer. Mm-hmm. God forbid. Um, <laughs> it is useful, actually. I tell yeah. you, that, it is useful to understand. Sure. It is useful. It's helped me a lot because mm-hmm. I can't code it. It does help. Yep. But um, but you know, understand the protocols. So mm-hmm. get involved. In, get in, the, you know the protocols are all done as you know um, working groups within um, you know in, initiatives like W3C or Cantara. Yes. Right. Or they do all of that work, and that you know for individuals generally are free to join. Certainly for students, they'll be free to join. I'm sure. Don't quote me on it, but I think they are. Mm-hmm. And you can get involved in that. You can just even if you just watch. The email exchanges, you know, between these are all these are all world experts working in these working groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so get involved in those working groups in W3C and Cantara Initiative. Um, in the UK, there's a thing called OIX where they do a lot of identity projects. You mm. probably couldn't easily get involved in them, but you can, they, they, they publish the results. You can see the kind of things that people are working on. That's interesting. You know, um, I'd, I'd say um, so. So protocols definitely. Get involved in those if you're interested in that kind of thing. 
Um, and you don't have to be a software programmer to understand protocols. Mm-hmm. In fact, people who write the best, who get involved, people are linguists, for example, who get yeah. involved, social scientists, okay. that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also developers as well. And um, But also on the design side, UI, UX, Mm-hmm. That's a really important aspect of, of the identity space, you know, understanding like human behavior and the interaction. I'm hoping that more anthropologists and behavioral scientists mm. are involved in this space because we really need to be engaging these people because this is where human beings and technology truly intersect. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So what would what, tell me about the insights that anthropologists could bring to uh, this space? So at the minute, I'm working on a project with um, a master's degree at Durham University in the UK. And I'm working on how proverbs um, affect human behaviour mm-hmm. from an evolutionary perspective. Proverbs like a stitch in time saves nine or measure exactly. twice at once kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So as I've, as I've gone through that, I've realised how important language is in, you know, um, um, changing behaviour. Right, and encouraging people to act in a particular way. Right, cyber cyber tra- cyber security awareness training, in particular, mm-hmm. right, is um, an Im- would would really benefit from this side oh, yeah. of. But going back to identity, um, so so in the identity space, understanding how human behavior evolves means that you can understand why humans behave in a particular way. Mm-hmm. So when you design a, a particular, so for example, when I when I was working with the UK government designing, helping to design um, user journeys for interaction with their mm-hmm. with their system, right? Um, that um, involved a lot of processing of, well, would someone do that at that point, and mm-hmm. would they do that? Yeah. So understanding right. how people people interact with their surroundings and if something happens to them. Oh, you know yeah. that's it. So understanding human behavior is um, a really important aspect of digital identity design, and understand how language Im- impacts human behavior. Mm-hmm. So, for example, proverbs are really powerful little pieces of you know information, yeah. and I'm sure that you could use proverbs to help to encourage people to act in a particular way within um, the context of a user journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, encourage them to so for example when you when you are you know sort of verifying someone is true or setting up a, a bank account or something like that and taking them through a process which is very long-winded and tiring for them you could use you know piffy little statements mm-hmm. yeah to encourage them to you know do something that sort of thing i think it'd be something that would certainly be worth exploring anyway but i think yeah. anthropology in particular because they understand humans and how we act um, that would be that would add a lot of um, information into the into the design of these systems. Now, um, you know, talking, uh, you know, we, we've we've come to it several times, but it seems like a big problem with uh, sort of adopting a, a, a workable identity system across lots of different sort of competing factions is going to be sort of communicating the importance of sort of making something universal. Is is there, do you think there's going to be a sort of identity translator type role where people like where their main job, like almost like an evangelist where you're, you're sort of making people understand that, uh, you know, 
maybe you make one cent more per use if you use your own pri proprietary one, but it's going to be ultimately better if we uh, sort of use something that, that that flows across multiple pipelines. Oh, that's an interesting thought, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that happening. Mm -hmm. I can see that happening maybe in digital form. Maybe when you use when we go to Web three, mm -hmm. uh, maybe that would be actually an, an, an intrinsic part. Yeah. Of um, you know getting people to interact securely as well yeah. with their identity. Yeah, that's yeah. Based on the way people communicate online, it seems like uh, we could use a few more sort of uh, mediators in terms of, <laughs> of, of of you know progressing ideas and so forth. And and you know um, you know, and I'm always just trying to sort of find options for people who want to get into this space but feel intimidated by the sort of tech side of things but like if you're if you're a compel you know compelling you know people who understand, people who understand storyteller language. yeah yeah people who understand language mm -hmm. have a lot to give to this particular sector because it is it is where human beings need to be able to use technology seamlessly and the trouble is is that we need to when identity in particular isn't uh, saying again isn't just about technology you know, it's about processes, it's about people, it's about understanding what people want and how to convey it to them in a way that they understand. Because, because the mass, mass demographic that citizen ID and consumer ID has to cope with, you there's no one size fits all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've learned that the hard way. I've learned that through <laughs> years. Yeah. A lot of a lot of a uh, lot of banging your head against the wall for years and years. Yeah, um, yeah. So you sent me a link to a, a nice looking organization called Women in Identity. Uh, do you want to talk mm -hmm. about them a little bit and other resources or support organizations in in this space? Do you have any advice for for sort of networking in the identity space? Sure. Um, although I am a rubbish networker, I have to say. The women are identities, it's set up by some of the sort of stalwarts of the of the industry. Mm -hmm. And um it's uh, it's about it's about trying to because like like the cybersecurity industry, you know, the, the identity industry didn't seem to have a lot of women in it. I, I was right. all the only woman in the room, and often of with tens of men surrounding me and Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it is a little bit daunting sometimes. Um, although I am like a bit of a hard case now, like so, you know, not so much. But you speak. Right. But <laughs> the women that they came along to kind of like try and address, redress the balance and give a voice to women in this in this in the sector right. to encourage women to join the sector. Yeah. So they'll put out they'll put out like a regular jobs notice to try and get women to apply mm -hmm. for jobs in the sector. Nice. They regularly they regularly talk at all of these sort of like big conferences in identity, you know, and it's, it's this, I mean, I was a, a, a active member when it first started, but I've sort of fell by the wayside because of health problems and stuff. Sure. And um, just like workload basically. And mm -hmm. um, the, the stalwarts are still going, doing a massively important job in the industry. Like the women in, you know, the, the security um, sort of groups, trying to get more women, more voices, because one of the important things about digital identity is that, it affects everybody. It's yeah. a math demographic technology. Mm -hmm. It needs everybody involved in the design of it. It yes. needs everybody to voice an opinion on it, whether you like that opinion or not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, yeah. and going back to what you said before about uh, having not being able to sort of photograph, you know, uh, you know, your, yeah. your passport and your yeah. face at the same time, like, yeah. 
there's going to, this is especially, I mean, with identity, you're going to be having people access this from a lot of different sort of uh, places and, and experiences yeah. and backgrounds. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, so, so women identity has expanded since it started. And it's not just about women and identity. It's about, you know, it's, a, it's trying to give any, any sort of like minorities mm-hmm. in this, you know, a voice like disabled people, you know, yeah. pe- people in in um, sort of digital poverty, that type of thing. Yep. A bit of a, a bit of a sort of like, hello, I'm here. Can you please include me when you design your systems? Thanks. You know that thing. Yeah, love it. Uh, all right. So as we wrap up today, uh, Susan, um, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, Evaco Secure and your services and some of the projects you're excited about to mm-hmm. unveil later this year and next year? Yeah, sure. So there's 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 one big project that I still can't mention the names of, annoyingly. But we we so one of the one of the golden chalices of identity is to be able to reuse already verified data to be able to reuse it rather than reinvent the wheel, right? So we used to we used to do pure identity provisioning, and we realised that oh my god, this is a nightmare space to be in, but people need the plumbing so we worked mm-hmm. it so we, we we kind of we already had quite pieces already anyway and so we mm-hmm. sort of like created a set of apis and we use those apis now to um connect the ecosystem so this particular project is using some tier one banks in the uk connecting them to um government a government service in the first instance um, and we sit in the middle. You can't see us. We're just middle way. You don't see anything. Um, so we're invisible. Um, and it just connects the two pieces together um, with the end user in the middle. So it's user-centric, privacy enhanced, you know. And um, it allows the data to flow between those two services nicely and seamlessly. Mm-hmm. So the bank, you say, the bank's already done a lot of KYC checks on that data. It uses the open banking rails and OIDC, but it's a bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Because like I said open banking only gives you a couple of data points. This can give you, I think, up to 25 data points, if I'm right, um, if requested yep. by the server, if allowed by the person in the middle. Mm-hmm. You can also, obviously, you can obfuscate it, minimize the data, and do all of that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and and um, and then it'll just allow it basically just it's just like allows data flow. But you know, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But it's it's going to um it, it sounds simple, but it's actually quite revolutionary. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't sound simple. I just want to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, okay. This one thing, this one analogy with yes. the little legs. Yeah, the little legs. And yeah. you see what the yeah. little legs doing that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Fa- fabulous. So, all right, it's plug time. If our guests want to see uh, Susan Morrow's various work, writings, or uh, or contact your company, where should they go online? Um, so InfoSec Institute resources. Yep, resources oh. at infosecinstitute.com. Yep. Rich, go talk to C- us. Yep. Rich Check C- out C- contributors and find find Susan's many many great writings on there. I tell you more newsworthy stuff. Uh, you know, newsy stuff, high mm-hmm. level stuff at Cyber yeah. News. Hot leadership. Cyber News. There you go. So yeah, so yeah, say us online. I specifically talk about identity. Okay. Um, and it's all over the place. Well, also on our website, avocoidentity.com. Avocoidentity, um, okay. Yeah, avocoidentity.com is where you can contact us. Got it. Um, and um, yeah, kind of all over the place, actually, <laughs> seem to like get around a bit. It's because I'm better at 
right when I am talking. Okay, <laughs> you're doing you're doing fine. Uh, and 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 can people contact you on LinkedIn as well? Oh yes. Oh great. Okay, great. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think yeah. We we have a lot of we have a lot of listeners that like to connect yeah. with our guests and ask you questions. Yeah. I'm not on Twitter anymore. I came off because I couldn't stand it anymore. No, no. No, we're not doing we're not we're not doing that now. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Susan, thank you again for coming back to Cyberwork. It's it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, you too, Chris. Uh, And as always, I'd like to thank you all for listening to and watching the Cyberwork podcast on an unprecedented scale. Our our numbers have shot through the roof in the last couple of months. And so we are absolutely delighted to have you all along for the ride. Uh, If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends, maybe subscribe to our YouTube page or put us in your podcast feed. Also, go to infosecinstitute.com slash free to get your free cybersecurity talent development ebook. It's got in-depth training plans for the 12 most common job roles, including SOC analyst, penetration tester, cloud security engineer, information risk analyst, privacy manager, secure coder, hey, and more. Uh, We took notes from employers and a team of subject matter experts to build training plans that align with the most in-demand skills. You can use these plans as is or customize them to create a unique training plan that allies aligns with your unique career goals. So one more time, just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free or click the link in the description below and you can get your free training plan. Uh, that That is all. Do it. Infosecinstitute.com slash free. Uh, thanks once again to Susan Morrow and thank you all so much for watching and listening and we'll speak to you next week. Bye now. about some free cybersecurity training resources for you and your team. Just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free to get eBooks, training guides, and more than 100 cybersecurity training courses, all free for CyberWork listeners. Go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and start learning crucial new skills today.